0: As I spent time with the Transfiguration story this week, I kept coming back to this idea that the Transfiguration is a story about the full identity of Jesus moving from hidden to revealed, that it is a story of revelation. And I know in the past I've thought of it as like a, a Clark Kent to Superman moment, you know, like the mountaintop is Jesus' phone booth and these three disciples are there to, to see him do this thing where he sheds the common guy persona for the Son of God he truly is, and so his face changes and his robes become dazzling white and ready to go. But that's not what's happening here. It's not like Jesus had been hiding his true identity up to this point. He was baptized by John in front of many who then heard a voice from heaven say, you are my Son, the Beloved, with you I am well pleased. Jesus wasn't tucking in his Messiah identity as he cast out demons and healed lepers and taught that we are to love our enemies. He did all this very publicly. Mary knew before Jesus was born what he would mean to the world. Zechariah sings a song about how he's so joy-filled that a mighty Savior like Jesus has been born for Israel that now he can die in peace. In the wilderness, John the Baptist proclaims who Jesus is. People whom Jesus heals see him. They proclaim his identity for themselves. A Roman centurion calls him Lord. Levi, a tax collector, responds to him and follows him. An unclean spirit itself sees Jesus and says, leave us alone, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. The identity of Jesus is no mystery to those who are looking, to those who were listening. Some did see him, some did hear him, some followed him. For others, the identity of Jesus remained hidden, though. So maybe instead of the transfiguration being the moment when God reveals the identity of Jesus, maybe it's more helpful to think of this mountaintop experience as an unmistakable, hit-you-over-the-head-with-the-truth moment. Like God as communicator is like just in case anyone is still not seeing this or not hearing this or not understanding the idea here, I'm going to take away all need for interpretation or explanation. There's going to be no way to refute it. I'll connect all the dots for everybody. And so the voice of God says, this is my son, my chosen. Listen to him. Clarity is good. The story of Jesus, the story of God in relationship to us, in relationship to all of creation, is a story of revelation upon revelation upon revelation. It starts all the way in the beginning. With Abraham, God is revealed to be a promise maker who then keeps promises by bringing birth from barrenness. This is a move God will do time and again. Isaac from elderly Sarah. With Jacob, God is revealed as one who chooses a person or a people who do not necessarily deserve to be chosen and then sticks with that person or people no matter what. We see that time and again. With Joseph, God is revealed to be active at all times, in all relationships, in all places, whether we notice God at work or not. Now, those are just examples from Genesis. I could go through every book of the Bible and talk about what is revealed in that crisis or through that life or in that joy. But here's the thing I'd like for you to take home today Revelations of God, who God is, how God works, are not only made to us through the stories of Scripture, God is also revealed to us in our own lives. As God's story connects with and intertwines itself into our story, are you looking? Are we listening? This theme of moving from hidden to revealed, for whatever reason, it made me think about sculptors this week. I'm not a huge art aficionado, but back in my youth, I got to go to the Rodin Museum in Paris, where at the center of a grand garden is that famous sculpture, The Thinker. You can see it in your mind's eye. Now, I don't know how sculptors actually do what they do, but in my imagination, and I suppose it depends on the material that the sculptor is working with, but I imagine a sculptor standing in her studio while a bunch of movers roll in like a huge block of clay or whatever the material. And somehow, while looking at that block, the sculptor sees the sculpture inside of that block of material and then spends the next however long it takes to finish it simply removing the parts of that block that hide, that are on top of the figure within. It seems to me that a sculptor's job is to reveal something beautiful. All these thoughts of sculpting and creating led me to an article about one sculptor in particular. His name was Jean-Louis Reyna. I've never heard of him, but his granddaughter, Mariette, upon his death, wrote this lovely article in an online cultural platform called Never Apart. The first thing she says is, to spend time with a sculptor such as my grandfather Is to learn to look at the world. A ray of sunshine falling on a vase, a branch on a path. Every detail and moment becomes a subject to observation and the infinite possibility of fascination. The studio is a place of mysteries where the world is suddenly at hand as if he had extracted the beauty. From within. When was the last time you looked at a part of the world, maybe even a part that most think is ugly or somehow usually gets judged as bad? When was the last time you looked long enough to notice the beauty? When was the last time you extracted beauty from within? Each of us has this power. As a husband, I vowed to extract beauty from a relationship that over the course of years sometimes doesn't always look or feel beautiful. As a parent, I feel called by God to convince my children that within the block of clay that is their person is genuine beauty that the world will always be better off for having. Always. As your pastor walking with you through frustrations about how we do church imperfectly or bearing sadness with you in the wake of a diagnosis or a death or holding anxiety, maybe fear amidst life's uncertainties. Through all of it, you call me to see the grace of God and then to report back to you good news about the beauty that is in this world, that is made available by God, that is being experienced even now. Each and every one of us has the power to extract beauty from the world, and we do so when we take the time to offer the world our full attention. Mariette, Jean-Louis' granddaughter, says, I was intrigued by the attention he gave to what was around him. The very act of truly looking at something, of being present with what is before you, carries that strong emotion, that of being touched. Little by little, she says, I understood this was not just a practice that made good art. This was about life. The being who seeks, who questions, who learns not to take for granted, who works with a space of uncertainty, imbalance, this is where the living one's Breathe. Mary, the mother of God, listened to the angel Gabriel, and she believed. Zechariah was given many months of silence so that he could get over himself and see that Jesus was his Savior. The Roman centurion, Levi the tax collector, the unclean spirit, they were all looking. They were all listening. And so they heard and saw amidst the fear Mary could have been paralyzed by. Like, that's what she could have done, just been scared. Amidst the pride and self-righteousness that Zechariah could have held on to. Amidst the cultural boundaries that the Roman centurion could have allowed to keep him out of this good news. Amidst all the challenges, the gospel declares time and time again these examples of extracting beauty from a broken world rather than the easier thing, than to just extract fear and bitterness and complaint, so that everything can be divided and broken and die. None of these examples I'm offering from Scripture sunk into despair or remained cynical or held on to their own preconceived notions of what Jesus was supposed to look like or how he was supposed to sound or what he was supposed to say. Instead, they saw him, they heard him, they received him. And that moved them to praise him as their God. I imagine the sculptor standing in front of the block of clay that is you and just getting excited, excited about how beautiful you're going to be, which of course is what God has in mind, not just for you, but for all the others in this room and for all the others in this world. What if we acted like we believed that? That God created each and every person in our lives, including ourselves, each and every person on this earth to be good, to have beauty. It would be harder to hate, wouldn't it? It'd be harder to exclude. It would be harder to dismiss people if we actually remembered God made them to be beautiful. It would be harder to objectify someone, harder to not care about them because they're over there, they're not local. Harder to judge, harder to self-loathe, harder to self-harm. What if we just went around wherever we are like a sculptor extracting beauty from what seems ordinary or monotonous or downright ugly? jean louiss grandson repeated a phrase he heard a lot growing up. His grandfather would say, there's so much beauty in this world and too few people to see it. The transfiguration of our Lord is that moment when God, just in case you missed it up to that point, God made it obvious that this Jesus is the beauty of the grace and love of God personified. It's a moment of clarity that didn't last long, but it was clear. The season of Lent in the church is much longer than that transfiguration moment on the mountaintop, but it's meant, Lent is meant, to do the same thing for us. Just in case you forgot, or just in case you've missed it lately, the church is inviting you to offer your attention, to remember, to look, to listen, to notice that you are good, that there is beauty in this world of all places, that something bigger than you, we call that one God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that that one knows you, keeps promises to you that are offered in grace and is at all times, in all places, is even in and beyond death. God, our sculptor in baptism, began shaping us in faith to have the ability to extract beauty and joy and peace and love from this life, from this world, from our neighbor even. Are you tired of extracting gloom? Are you more likely to say something snarky about someone than to notice the ways they're a blessing? The season of Lent is meant to be that mountaintop space where, more than usual, we intentionally pray a little more, worship a little more, do an extra spiritual practice, or talk about God with others more than we typically do. This is that time of year, and this year we need it as much as we've ever needed it before. The world needs people like us to extract beauty from what otherwise is assumed to be lost beyond salvageable, beyond being worthy of us trying anymore. Baptized into the faith of Jesus, we have been built to look, to listen, to see God's grace and to tell God's good news. Thanks be to God. Amen.